Good morning, everyone. Ooh. Welcome to Calvary Chapel, Okinawa. Um, I'm Josh. I got um, just a, some announcements, um, what's going on here at Calvary Chapel, Okinawa. Um, first off, uh, on Wednesdays, we meet up at 6 o'clock. We have our uh, connect groups. There's a, a bunch of connect groups. Um, we have Japanese women's study. They're going through Acts. We have a women's study. They're going through Revelation. Um, we have uh, youth going through apologetics, um, and we also have uh, all up here. <laughs> but I, I, I encourage you guys to come out. It's a great time to um, just be in the Word and have fellowship with each other in, in the smaller groups. Uh, you get to get to meet other people and um, just build relationships that way. And as you, we um, go through the Word. So I'd like to encourage you guys to come out if you guys can. It starts at 6 o'clock. Um, men, Saturdays, we meet up at 8 a.m. for uh, a men's Bible study. We're going through the, we call it the men of the word. Uh, we just look at um, the character of men to, in the Bible and uh, just the examples that um, they show to us. So I encourage you guys to come out. And every second Saturday, we have actually a men's breakfast also. So we actually had it last or yesterday. Um, if you missed it, um, sad. Nah, I'm joking. You come out next week. There you go. You can come out now next month, um, have a time of fellowship um, as you have breakfast. So, um, Also, this Saturday, we're having uh, the children's ministry is having a brunch and training. Um, so it's a potluck. Um, just some, so I encourage you guys to, whoever's in uh, the children's ministry to come out to, to have some um, just some time of um, just to see what's going on in the ministry. And even if you're thinking about it or um, to help out in the children's ministry, I encourage you guys to come out also. You guys get to take a look what's um, going on with um, the kids and just um, being plugged in in that way. So also they're offering child care. So um, if you're husband and wife and you guys need someone to, to watch your kids, then there is child care. Um, my notes, but um, also you guys can see Pastor Rick's not here. Um, he wasn't feeling well. Um, he he did test. He he doesn't have um, um COVID or anything, but he just wasn't feeling well. So if you could just keep him in your prayers, and um, so we have a a guest speaker today. It's an honor and a, a blessing to introduce the Pastor Rich Rose, uh, just a a brother who loves the Lord, a great teacher. Um, he's a pastor at Calvary Chapel Fuchu in the mainland, and they also run a elementary school there um, from kindergarten to sixth grade. And every year they try to come up and bring their student uh, who's graduating from sixth grade to, to have some time here in Okinawa. So he's here with um, Candace, his wife, and their student, Daniel. So let's give a warm welcome to Pastor Rich Rose. Good morning. How you guys doing? Doing good? It's a pleasure to be here. Um, as uh, Josh said, we, uh, we get the privilege to come out here every year. We got a tiny little school, and uh, this year we got one, usually between one and five sixth graders. We bring out to Okinawa for a, just a blessed graduation trip for them. But God's timing is perfect because uh, we originally were actually scheduled to come up last week, last weekend. Um, but uh, some stuff happened on our side to where we couldn't do. We had to change the flights, and so we, uh, we changed it to this week. And um, Rick's down this week, and so God knew that uh, Rick would need some rest, and so he had already prepared beforehand without us even knowing, which is so awesome, you know. It's, it's, fun. It's, it's fun to watch God do things when we're not even aware of what's going on. It's really cool. But um, why don't we pray for Pastor Rick and uh, pray for the service this morning. Uh, would you pray with me? Lord, we... Um, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to gather together freely in your name like this, Lord. Um, uh, Lord, I just pray that uh, today would be a day in which we would uh, be separated from the world. And, and um, Lord, we would just offer ourselves completely to you, Lord. I pray, 
uh, for Pastor Rick, Lord, that um, Lord, you would just uh, touch his body, you'd heal him, you'd give him rest that he needs, Lord, and just, uh, Lord, they might be charged um, uh, to, to continue to serve you this week, Lord. We pray for the, the fellowship here, Lord. I pray for all the different aspects of the ministry that are going on this morning, the children's ministry and the, the sound and um, just, all, uh, you know, just all the things, Lord, that you just bless, uh, bless your workers, uh, that you bless the kids, Lord. I pray that you uh, bless your word this morning, that it would uh, that we receive it as uh, living, and Lord, I ble bless your people and their hearts, Lord, that they might receive what you have to say to them, Lord, and as um, as uh, we worship this morning, that you might change us into people that look more like you, Lord, and uh, I just pray also for the offering that you bless the, uh, those that give and bless the offering, use it for your glory and for the furtherance of your kingdom here in this um, in this island. And Lord, we just uh, lift this time up to you, and we ask that you go before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's always a blessing uh, for us to be here. We've been coming, this is our sixth year actually now that we've been coming out, and um, if, that we, uh, we extend the invitation. You guys are so hospitable to us that uh, anytime, and now's actually a good time, right? If you travel nowadays, you can't come back. Well, I don't know, some of you might be able to, but you, you can't come back to Okinawa right away usually. So if you need a place to. To crash, you know, look us up, and, and I mean that, you know, we, we've got, we've, we can help you out if you need to, but um, if you have your Bibles, please open them to the book of Ezra. Uh, one of the things, if you don't have a Bible, there's a brother right there that's passing Bibles out, you can raise your hand and he'll put one in your hand right now. One of the things about coming and sharing um, just one Sunday like this is kind of deciding on what to teach. And so I was kind of praying and I was asking the Lord to give me kind of a topic to, to share. And he impressed, I feel like the Lord impressed on me to talk about togetherness, uh, to talk about being together as his, as his body. Because we're living in a world now that's I think it feels, I don't know, I, I feel like the, the message of the world these days is this push to isolate us, and uh, whether it be when we travel, we got to isolate, whether it be, you know, telling you to stay at home to, you know, keep from getting sick, or the more and more time we spend on our devices, we're, we're, I find that the time alone is more than the time together, and, um, and there's a push. I feel like there's a push, uh, almost like a programming, if you will, I don't know if that's the right word to use, uh, uh, but to get us into... To be isolated people, but God's not created us that way. You know, God is a relational God, and He He connects. Of course, He connected with us uh, through His Son by sending His Son to the earth as a man, and um, He's you know obviously created that relationship between us and Him through the work that Jesus did on the cross, and and the fact that we find forgiveness and we can now approach Him in a father-child, a father-son or daughter relationship, um, and He's created us as in his image as relational creatures with one another. And he's called us to be the importance of being together. You know, it's a really, it's really an important thing. And, and so maybe right now you're thinking, okay, uh, I, I get that. Uh, so why are you going to Ezra? You know, if you're talking about togetherness, you know, there's so many other places that perhaps we can look at in the scripture and you're right. Uh, but chapter three, we'll be looking at today, I think is a really, really good outline about being together being together as a, as, a, as a body of believers. Ezra and Nehemiah are really, really fun books to study if you ever have time and you haven't. Uh, they, these, uh, these particular books deal with the children of Israel coming back into the land after the Babylonian captivity. Of course, they, um, you know, Moses led them into the land uh, through, the, through the Red Sea and, and, uh, and into the, prom the land of promise, and they're living in the land of promise, but they begin to disobey and, and because they disobey, God, they, they begin to be idolatrous, and, and God gives them over to the land of idolatry, which is Babylon, for a set amount of time, 70 years to be exact. And, and now, we, as we enter into Ezra and Nehemiah, we're in that time in which they're returning to their homeland. And uh, not only does God allow them, he opens the doors for them to go back, he moves in the heart of the Babylonian king Cyrus. It's really a great study. We don't have time to talk in depth about it, but Cyrus is mentioned by name in the scripture that God's going to, he prophesies that God's going to raise up this king Cyrus 
that's going to bring, he's going to, he's going to bring the people of Israel, a foreign king, bring the people of Israel back into the, into the homeland. And, and I imagine, it's not written for us, so I don't know, but I imagine that Daniel may have, you know, show, hey, Cyrus, look, your name's here, you know. God's going to use you. But any, in any way, in any rate, God does use Cyrus, and God allows, Cyrus allows the Jews to return to their homeland. And not only does he allow them to do that, but he also provides the resources for them to rebuild their temple. Now, at the time, there's probably a few, two, three, four, I don't know, several, a few million people, a few million Jews that are living in what's now Persia, former Babylon, and they have, they're given the opportunity, Cyrus gives them the opportunity to return to their homeland, but only a, a small number actually do. There's about 50,000 folks that follow with, uh, with Ezra to go, to go with him, you know, and so... As I mentioned a moment ago, we're going to read through chapter 3, and I think we're going to see kind of a, really a perfect outline of togetherness. So why don't we just go ahead and get into it, and I'll read the first verse. Ezra chapter 3, verse 1, it says, And when the seventh month had come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. So the first thing that we see uh, here is that in, in the theme of togetherness, the first thing it says is that they gathered together, right? They gathered together. And, and uh, it was at the seventh month. The seventh month was an important month on the, on the spiritual calendar for Israel. The seventh month is when they celebrated the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Trumpets and the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a big month for them. But notice what it says. It says that they gathered together as one man. And I think this is, again, we can take this as very applicable for us as New Testament Christians. God's called us as a church to gather together. You know, I mean, that's why, that's one of the reasons why you're here this morning, right? Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. Matthew 18, 20 says, uh, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. One of the important reasons that we gather together is Jesus promises that there's, if there's two or three of us gathered together, that he is amongst us. He's with us. So every time you gather together in the name of Jesus with other believers, the Bible promises us that God himself, Jesus himself, is with us. But also, a familiar verse probably to many of you is Hebrews chapter 10. Verse, is it back here? Yeah, right there, part of it is. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. The writer of Hebrews says, uh, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of somebody exhorting one another as so much more and so much more as you see the day approaching. Now we're living in a time like never before, I believe that the, uh, the return of Jesus is imminent. I, I, it could happen at any time. And the Bible tells us, the writer of Hebrews tells us that as the day approaches, all the more important it is for us as believers to gather together because one of the things that it does is it calls us, in verse 24, to stir one another up to love and good works because we can get, we can get influenced by this world around us very easily and this world around us doesn't stir one another up to love and good works. And so we're called to gather together to be reminded of what we're called to be as believers. It's really important, the gathering together. Um, I guess um, for these guys here in, in Ezra chapter 3, it was kind of easy for them to gather together, I guess, because they had a sense of purpose. Does that make sense? They had, they had a task, a common task that they were all there to do. They, they come back to Israel, and, and the place was rubble. And especially the temple. The temple was completely destroyed. There's nothing there. It's just a remnant. And, they, and they're now tasked with the job of rebuilding the temple. And so, in a sense, it's easy to gather together for something like that because you know what you're all called to do. There's like a, a vision that everybody has, if that makes sense. And so sometimes I think for us as believers today, there's a tendency for us to feel like we're all individuals just kind of doing our own thing and we meet together on Sundays, right? You know, especially, in, a, in, in all honesty, in a fellowship like this, everybody's from all different places, right? We're, we're from all over the world, really. And God calls, and it's really neat that God calls his church together like that. But there's sometimes there's a, there's a tendency for us to kind of be in our world, and we gather together on Sundays, and then we go back to our world for the rest of the week. And, um, and, we, and I think because we can't see sometimes that God's called us as a church, to a common task. He's called us together. 
And so it's important for us to remember, I think, the common task for his church today. We are individually, but more importantly, corporately, we're called to represent Jesus Christ to a world that's never seen him before and to a world that doesn't know him, to a lost world. And it's, it's so important for us to remember that. And, that. and if we can remember that we've got this common task, I think it, we can, it's easy for us, easier for us to understand the importance of gathering together regularly, if that makes sense, right? Um, it's also important, I think, for us to remember that the church, when we think of the word church, the church is not an organization. It's an organism, it's a living thing, and, and it's a living thing that God's called each of us as individual believers to be a part of, right? In the New Testament, God refers to, the Bible refers to the church as the body of Christ in more places than one, but uh, I'll just turn real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, I'll just read a couple of verses for the sake of time. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. says, uh, for as, as the body is one and, as, and has many members, but all the members of that body being many are one body, so also is Christ. And then I'll skip down to verse uh, 26. It says, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. When you think about the human body, you know, it's, I mean... It only functions at its best when it's working together. Does that make sense, right? And, and that's the same for us as the body of Christ. The idea we get individually sometimes when we isolate ourselves is like, well, it doesn't really matter if, I, if I'm not with everybody else or if I don't go to church this Sunday or whatever, you know, because there's not this sense of understanding that you're connected as part of the body. But the reality is that the body of Christ doesn't function as it's supposed to completely if the whole body's not there. That's what the Bible tells us. So it's important for us to remember that you, each and every one of us individually, are part of something bigger. We're part of this body of Christ, this living organism that is called to be in a world as a witness to a world that doesn't know God. Now, um, let's, go, let's go ahead and continue back in Ezra. I'll read verses 2 and 3. It says, then Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, arose and built the altar of, of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries, they set the altar on its basis, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the, both the morning and the evening burnt offerings. So the second thing we see here about them doing together is, is that they first they gathered together. Now here we see that they worship together. And this is, this is really important too, but it, there's a lot actually in these two verses. But if you think about it, I don't know, it, it would have been easy for these guys to kind of first thing they think about is, well, we better, we better build ourselves a nice place to live, right? They come, they come into, again, the place, is, the place is conquered, you know, it's rubble. And the temple, the ruin, it's ruined. And I, the first thought, well, let's let's set up, you know, let's set up our houses, let's you know, build a supermarket, let, let's do the, the things that we need, the infrastructure that we need to live. But no, the first thing these guys think about is they need that we need to worship the Lord. That's first on our on our list. And so they don't even build the temple itself. They don't build the temple building. They just build the altar. The first thing they do is they go and they build the altar right in the middle of the rubble, probably right in the middle of the destroyed temple on the Temple Mount. Jeshua and Zerubbabel start building an altar which would then be able to receive uh, offerings and sacrifices. And I think about this, and I'm like, wow, this is really significant because you could see that worship was really important to these guys. They built the altar first because they understand that that was what was most important. And, of course, it's at the altar that the sacrifices were offered, which is where sin was dealt with. And um, it's at the altar where man would meet God, right? We think the temple, but the temple really was for the priests. The priests did work in the temple. They were the workers in the temple. For the, man, for the common man, for the average folk, their, their place where they met God was at the altar itself because that's where the sacrifice was offered, right? And so the altar was so important for man in his relationship with God. 
And, it, and uh, you know, it started, I think, with the altar because it gives us the understanding that their need of their need to have their sins atoned for. And, and, and so they, they do this. They build the altar. They start to offer sacrifices right away. And then it says in verse 3, notice, that they feared the people around them. Fear came upon them because here now they're going to start doing something. They're going to start being visible witnesses in a place that doesn't know God. And, and is, is, I would say, is against probably God even, right? And so there's a fear to them. I wonder what's going to happen, they're thinking, if we do this. But they did it anyway. And this is super applicable to us, I think, because they've got this fear of the neighboring countries, but they understood what was more important. I'm going to read a, kind of a heavy verse, but Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus says this, so it's important, but uh, he says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who's able to destroy, to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's a heavy verse. But I think it's a verse about perspective because it's really easy to look horizontally because it's what we see, right? We live in a world that, you know, that we, a visible world. And there's so much, if we look too much around us, there's a lot to be fearful of, you know? And, and, and I, I'm, I'm number one guilty of this. I, I, I often worry about what other people think or worry about what other people are going to say and those kind of things. And and uh, um, even recently with, uh, at our school, we've had some, some issues with uh, some of the parents. And the first reaction is, oh, man, what am I going to do? You know, oh, man, we're going to lose this or we're going to lose students or blah, blah. You know, all these things go through my head. And it's, it's all based on fear. And the reason that fear comes is because I'm looking at this situation rather than at God first, right? And these guys understood. And they feared. The fear is real. They experienced it. But they understood that it was more important for them to please God than it was for them to, to please man, basically, or to, or to bow to any fear that they might have had. And so their response was to obey God. And I think it's easier to have that response. It's always the right response, obviously, to obey God. But it's easier to have that response when we're gathered together. When, we're, when, God, when the enemy's got us by ourselves and isolated, that's when we fear the most. And we've got nobody with us to come alongside us to encourage us to stand strong. That's the importance of doing it together, right? It's, it's so applicable in the world that we're living in, you know. If you ask yourself honestly, again, I can only speak for myself, but if you ask yourself honestly, how much of your decision-making on a daily basis, or maybe you're holding back of the zeal that God might have in your heart and showing that zeal in front of people that don't know God, how much of that is because there's a fear of how people might react or what people might say or what people might think before you, before you do something? You know, how much, how much of our decision-making is based on that, right? And... If these fears are real and we all experience them, how do we displace those? How do we, we know that they're wrong, then how do we get rid of them? Well, I think simple, the simple answer is a desire. These guys understood that the, import, the importance of pleasing God was more important than any of that other stuff. And if we can remember that what's most important is obeying the Lord and, and making him happy, then, then that is what's going to displace the fears. And I believe it happens, again, I believe it's easier to do when we're amongst one another because we can encourage one another in that, right? Let's go ahead and continue um, in verse, uh, I'll read verses four through six. It says, they also kept the feast of tabernacles as, as it is written and offered the daily burnt offerings in the number required by ordinance for each day. Afterwards, they offered the regular burnt offering and those for new moons and for all the appointed feasts of the Lord that were consecrated and those of everyone who willingly offered a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, although the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. So first we saw that they gathered together. Second thing we saw was that they worshiped together. And then the third thing we see here, I think, is that they celebrate together. You know, the, uh, the feasts were a time, some of the feasts anyway, were a time of celebration. So one of the feasts that they kept, we see there in verse 4, is the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was really, it was kind of like a camping trip. They'd go out and they would, they would stay with their families in tents for a week. And it was, um, it was from the, um, 
15th to the 22nd of their seventh month, which would be our September, October, in the fall sometime. And it was really a joyful feast. And it was a time of remembrance. And what they were remembering back was the time of their ancestors in the wilderness, their time that they spent in the wilderness. And that, so again, they would stay in tents. And what their staying in tents was supposed to remind them of, it was to remind them of the fact that they're sojourners in this land and that not to get too comfortable where they were because this, this world is not their home, right? To view this as a temporary place. And uh, uh, again, for us, that's so applicable for us today. This world is not our home. You know, God's called us, God's, he, we're, in, we're living in the kingdom of God now and, and we're dwelling on this earth, but we're just, we're just camping. We're just camping out. We're just sojourners. You're not going to take any of the stuff with you, any of the stuff you own. Nobody, no, nobody you know, takes a U-Haul behind them on the way to heaven. You, know, you don't see U-Hauls on the way to a funeral because we don't take anything with us. This stuff is left here when we go. This isn't our place. This is just a, a resting place, if you will. First Peter chapter 2 Verse 11, Peter says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. One of the things, of, one of the things that's good about being reminded of the fact that this is not our home is it keeps us from what this world thinks is good. Does that make sense? When, if we think like the, if we live in the world and think like the world, then we're going to begin to do the things that the world does because that's where we're going to find pleasure. But if we understand that we're sojourners and we're not living in this world for a long time, this isn't really our home, then we can abstain from the things that this world finds as satisfying because we find our satisfaction in something, something higher in, in, in understanding who our Lord is. Does that make sense? And then also in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, Verse 13. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, you guys know this chapter. It's, uh, I, I, you guys are studying Hebrews, right, I think, with, with Pastor Rick. Hebrews chapter 11 is the, the hall of faith, and it's an amazing chapter to read, you know, because you read about all of these great things that these guys did, and basically simply because they trusted God. They were walking and believing in the Lord. The thing I like about Hebrews 11 the most, personally, is not necessarily the great things that they did, but that's all you see about them. Because we read in the Old Testament about the lives of these guys, and you see that they, they were men like us, you know. They were regular people, and, and they struggled in their relationship, and they, and they had times in which they failed, and they, and they lived according to their flesh, lived according to what they saw rather than according to faith. But there were times in which God called them, and they believed, and they did what God called them to do. And God remembers that, you know, and, and, uh, and to be encouraged for us as believers, you know, our failures, our sins, our times in which we're not living by faith, that stuff is, is, is gone because Jesus has died for that stuff, and he's, it's, it's removed. It's removed from us, and the stuff that's remembered is what we do in the Lord, but I, for one, hope that I've got something written. You know, does that make sense? You know, I, I want to have a chapter written about me of, about God and and His greatness and me understanding and believing in and following after Him, if that makes sense. But anyway, in Hebrews chapter eleven, verse thirteen, he says, "It says they all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth." For me, Hebrews chapter 11, this is, the, this is the verse. This is the verse of the chapter because this is what it's all about for us too, right? What's important is the promise that we have, holding on to the promise because the promiser is a, is a faithful promiser. The one who gives the promise is faithful. And we can hold on to the promises that we have. It doesn't matter what we have on this earth because this earth is not our home. We know that we're, we're just strangers. We're just pilgrims. We're kind of out of place in a sense and because we're, we're waiting for our Savior to call us home. Does that make sense? And so I think, uh, again, the, the celebration, and so, you know, and so because of this, you know, they're able to gather together, and again, they're in kind of a, I mean, it's not the best of circumstances. They're, they're free now, praise the Lord for them, and, and here they are, but they've got a lot of work, and it's kind of a it's kind of an uphill battle, the things that they've got to do, but it's a joyous time for them because they're understanding they're understanding that God's called them out, right? And here they are celebrating this feast, and, uh, and it was a joyful feast of the year. 
It was packed with eating together, and eating together, I don't know about you guys, but eating together is joyous for me. I love to eat, uh, especially with other people. And, and, and it came, it's interesting because it came, these festivals came after one another, right? This particular feast comes after the Day of Atonement. And I think that's important for us too. It's kind of applicable for us too because, because um, true joy comes only when we know that our sins are forgiven. We're right with God, right? The Day of Atonement was that day in which the, priest would, the high priest would go and he would offer up sacrifice on behalf of the sins of all of Israel. And people would understand. It's a heavy day. It was a heavy day, but it was an understanding of, of their need for God and their need for forgiveness of their sin. And after that burden is, is, is taken off of them and given to the Lord, there's joy, right? There's joy understanding that our sin's forgiven, right? And that's the same for us, right? When we understand who God is, it's a heavy thing to realize that, wow, Jesus died for me, and, and, and I'm the one that put Jesus on the cross because of my sin. That's a heavy thing. But then when our sin is lifted and given to him, and, and we're forgiven, that's where true joy is found, right? That's where we really find true joy, is understanding who God is and what he's done for us, right? Psalm chapter 51 David writes, uh, I'll, I'll read a portion of it, but uh, in, verse, uh, in verses 7 and 8, he writes, uh, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. And then down in verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. There's, there's a joy in understanding that our sins are forgiven. And then we get caught up in the things that we're doing, and sometimes we, we forget that joy, and we need to be brought together again. And we need to understand that, I mean, we do this with communion, right? We have communion to remember what Jesus has done for us so that we can be brought again to a place of, a place of joy. And, that, and that's where these guys were because they understood uh, that their, their sins had been forgiven. And then it says, in verse 6 there, we read that it says they began to, um, uh, they began burnt offerings. Now, again, the temple's not built yet. All they, they don't even have the foundation yet, nothing. All they did was build the altar. And, but they, they went ahead and they started the sacrifices because, again, they wanted, this is what was important. They needed to know that their sins were forgiven. They were dealing with the sin. And then, of course, the joy that came with that. And I was thinking, I was reading this, and I was thinking, I wonder... I may be completely wrong. I don't, I'm just wondering this. But I wonder if Jews today, you know, because, we, we're, we're, again, we're living in the end times. It's a time like no other. And, and uh, you know, all the things that are going on in this world, that's a whole other study. But we could talk hours about the things that are happening in this world that seem to be pointing us in the, the near um, call of our Lord, the trumpet, hearing the trumpet call us home. You know, I really believe it could be any time. But... But we look at the world around us for those kind of signs, but really the focus, of course, is on Israel. Israel is the focal point of all of that. And we do know that there will be a temple in the end times. We do know that that will be built, and it's not built yet, you know. And so it makes us think about a timeline in that sense. But I wonder if Jews today at some time might just build an altar, you know, on the, uh, on the Temple Mount and begin to offer sacrifices again before they even start to build the temple because again once the altar is erected then they can offer it they can i mean again i'm just speculating but i just wonder i wonder what you know if that might be the case they'll need like they'll understand like these guys their need to have an altar on the temple mount the altar here that they built was built on the first day of the seventh month which was the, the beginning of the feast of trumpets and it led into this uh the feast of tabernacles so it was the perfect timing for them Let's go ahead and continue, and we'll, we'll read verses 7 through 11, back in uh, Ezra 3. It says, They also gave money to the masons and the carpenters, and, the, and food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre, to bring cedar logs from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to, uh, according to the permission which they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Now in the second month of the second year, of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem. Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and the rest of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all those who had come out of the captivity to, to Jerusalem began work and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. Then Jeshua with his sons and brothers, Kadmiel with his sons, 
and the sons of Judah arose as one to oversee those working on the house of God, the sons of Henadad with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So here, I think that the, um, the fourth thing that we can see that they do together. So first, again, we've, we've got they gathered together, then they worshiped together, uh, then they, um, they uh, celebrated together. Now the fourth thing here is that we see that they worked together. It was a common project they had to build the temple. So they got the foundation laid of the temple. And um, they got, again, permission, it says, from Cyrus, the king of Persia. This is such an amazing uh, um, prophecy, if you, if you read about it. But it, it, just like Solomon's temple, they get the, the cedar comes from Lebanon to build the temple. The decree itself, if you read later on in Ezra, it comes, it's found in Ezra chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. And uh, it's, it's Cyrus giving authorization to the Jews to go and giving them at, at the Persian government's expense, giving them the resources to go and to rebuild the temple. But the, but the, the work itself was by them collectively, right? They did it together. Notice in verse 8, and I love this actually, it says, it says, uh, the, The, uh, they're coming to, the, the, in the second month of the year, the second, year, the second month of the second year, they're coming to the house of God at Jerusalem. So, again, if we were watching this on video, <laughs> they didn't come to the house of God. They came to rubble. They came to the, they came to a former house of God. They came to. I mean, we we're driving around here on our on our trip, uh, and I noticed a lot of signs for temple ruins and castle ruins and. Ruins, ruins, ruins all over the place because they've been toppled over to over time, right? And you go and you don't see anything really, right? You just see where, a, where something once stood. You may see a portion of a wall or something, but the majority of, of it's gone. All you see is, oh, this is, I wonder what it used to look like, you know, basically. But these guys, they come and it's like that. That's what they're approaching. But yet notice what they say. They don't say where the house of God was. This is the house of God. They call that place the house of God. In, in a sense, they understand that the work is theirs, but that God's going to allow them to do the work. Does that make sense? They've got vision. You know, and I, and I think the Bible tells us that people, that people perish because of lack of vision. I, I think the church sometimes for us, sadly, because we fail to see that God's got us here for a common purpose and a, and a common work, we, we, we perish in a sense. We don't, we don't fulfill all that God has for us to fulfill. And because sometimes we look and we're discouraged by what we see in front of us because we see just a toppled mess, if that makes sense. That makes sense? Like we, we've been in, in, in uh, Tokyo now for 20 years. And uh, quite honestly, I mean, we love being there, but quite honestly, the soil's pretty hard. You know, people are, people are okay, you know, and they're, and they're, they're content with where they are to, to some extent. And, and that's good for you. That, and, and they're nice people. And that's good for you, that stuff that you do, and, and, but we do something different, you know, and they don't, they don't have a, a need, they don't feel a need for the Lord. And, and there's been times in the 20 years that we've been there where it gets, it gets a little bit discouraging, I'm just being honest. You know, we, when, we, uh, when we first came out, we were with an, another church in, in uh, Saitama, and we came down to Fuchu about, I think it's about maybe 14 years ago now, somewhere around there, and, and, uh, and we started, we were doing a Bible study, and people were coming. None of them, there were no Christians. It was all, there was like five or six people. They were, they were, they were all not, not saved, and we got Gideon, the free Gideon Bibles to give to them, and, and I couldn't, I mean, my Japanese was horrendous. It's still bad, but it was horrendous then, and, and there was nobody to translate, so I just, you know, did the best that I could. It, I couldn't even read, so I'd have them read, you know, one verse at a time, and we'd go through the study, and, uh, and they kept coming faithfully for, for a long time, more than a year, and I was thinking, well, Lord, when these folks um, get saved, then, you know, I guess we'll, we'll start a church, you know, kind of a thing. And, but they didn't. You know, they kept coming faithfully and faithfully, but nobody, no, you know, none of them received the Lord. And I was getting kind of bummed, to be honest. I was kind of discouraged because I think I failed to see the vision that God had for me. God wasn't called, you know, 
he actually busted me in my devotion one morning, and he said, you know, are you doing, I really felt the Lord tell me, are you doing, who are you doing this for? You know, are you doing this for me, or are you doing this for them? You know, and it sounds like, I could tell you, hey, I'm doing this for all these lost people, and it sounds really noble, but if I'm not doing it for the Lord, it doesn't mean anything, you know, and, 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 uh, and, he, and he struck me. It, it, really did stri- it really did strike me in my heart that I need vision, and the vision doesn't, and, and the vision is, this is the Lord's work. And the Lord's going to complete it, and he's just called me to be a part of it. Does that make sense? And, and so we need to understand that God's called us together for a work, and that work is to, again, I believe, to, to show a lost world what a, what a group of people that have a relationship with God looks like. You know? And sometimes it can be disheartening because the lost world stays lost. But that doesn't call us away from the work that he's called us to do. We need to keep the vision that, we, that God's given us so that we can accomplish his work. It's his work, ultimately, whatever it is that he wants to accomplish, if that makes sense. And so these guys gathered, they worked, and they had a common purpose, and they had a common job, and they got together, and they began to do the work. And it was a joyous thing for them to see these things take place, right? And uh, so the, um, the foundation was laid, the foundation here where they're celebrating in verse 8, there was laid, it says the second year, second month, second year. This is actually the same month that uh, Solomon had uh, began building his temple back in 1 Kings chapter 6. You can read about that. The foundation of this, of this particular temple was laid the spring of 535 B.C. Uh, Daniel and his friends had been taken, the first group that was taken into captivity was taken in 605 B.C. I'm only giving you guys these numbers because 605 minus 535 is 70. God had already said that it would be 70 years of captivity. This is the 70 years that God was speaking about. And Jeremiah had predicted, and, uh, and you can read about in Zechariah and Haggai, um, they prophesied during the time that the temple is being rebuilt. But it's just, it's just uh, I'm just bringing this stuff up to you to remind you of God's faithfulness and the, and the, perfection, the, the perfect word that he's given to us. His, none of his word is going to fail, as was the case then. Let's go ahead and uh, finish up the chapter. Verse 12 says, But many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the father's houses, old men, who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of, his, of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. So I'm, I'm, I'm done with the four points. But this last part, it speaks, because I'm one of the old guys now. You know, and you read this, and you... There's, there's two groups of people as this is happening. Again, there's nothing there yet, just the foundation. They've laid the foundation. So the foundation, what do we see in a foundation of a building? We see the size, basically. We know how big that building's going to be. And you've got these old guys. It doesn't say how old, but the older guys. Now, um, parts of the nation, a small portion of the nation was taken into captivity in 605 BC, which would have been 70 years, like I just mentioned. But the temple itself was actually destroyed only 50, 51 years prior to this. So there were people that were there in this group that had been there when the temple was still there. And then now they're seeing the new uh, foundation for the new temple. And it says that they were, they were bummed. The older guys, they were, they were weeping, they were crying. And we get, a, we get a hint in the prophet Haggai as to why that was happening. If you turn with me to Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2, um, verse 3, it says, Who's left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now in comparison with it? Is this not in your eyes as nothing? And so I think these guys, they looked at it, and they, and they remembered the previous temple, and the temple was sweet. It was a nice building. And here they're looking at the foundation, and it's nothing compared to what the temple once was. That's what these guys are experiencing. Then you've got another group of people. These, this group of people hadn't seen that temple. And what are they? They're excited. They're shouting. Why are they excited? They're excited because they see God at work. And God's doing something right in front of them, and they're excited to see that God's doing something in front of them. And they're shouting for joy. 
So you've got these weepers and you've got these shouters. And I was looking at this and I was thinking, you know, this is, this is applicable for me because, again, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the older guys, you know, now. And, and I know because we went, we take the kids, the sixth graders out to do fun stuff. So we went on the zip line and, and we went, uh, uh, yesterday went to the aquarium. And, man, by the time I got home, I'm wiped out. You know, my whole body hurts now from just doing the zip line a couple of days ago. I'm getting old. But they looked at this size and it's ah they're thinking about the glory days of the temple previously and that is such a important thing again that's why again lastly it's important again we see the importance of gathering together because i think it'll give us it's contagious the joy of the lord is contagious you know for us we we can get in i think for again i'm only i can only speak for myself and and hopefully it is only me but but uh we can get in a point where we look back at things and we remember, wow, God did some really neat stuff, you know. But, and that's good. It's good to do that. But sometimes we do that with a God did some really neat stuff and he's not doing that neat of stuff anymore. It was, it, was, it, was, it was cooler then than it is now. And I think oftentimes the problem is our glasses. I think we put on rosy glasses to the past and we think some, we see things better than they were, first of all. I think that's one of the things. And secondly, we don't see the active work that God's doing now. Because we age, but God doesn't age, right? I'm slower, and I don't do things as well as I did 20 years ago, but God hasn't changed. God's not like, oh, man, I'm getting, you know, I'm thousands of years old now, so I don't think I can move as best. You know, God is the same, and he, and he works. He, he's, he's capable of working in the same way that he ever has. And he is working. He's working actively. And the people that see that generally tend to be the younger folks because it's new and they see a new work that God is doing. You know, I, I, I was blessed this morning to see the young folks up here leading worship you know, and the joy that, in which they were leading. And it's good for us that are older to be around people that have a fresh zeal of the Lord. Because honestly, I mean, I, I mean again, you don't, who, 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 anybody like to be around someone who's grumbling? Who's complaining, right? right? I, I don't like to be around myself when I'm complaining, you know? And I definitely don't like to be around other complainers. And people, I know when I'm complaining, people don't want to be around me, right? But when someone is, someone's excited about a, a work that God is doing, it, it's contagious. It's contagious for us. It helps us to see things right. Instead of looking back at the great things of God, we can look back and we say, God did great things. God's doing great things now, too. And he wants to do great things in and through us into the future, too. And so I think it's important for us to, to remember that. And it's important for us to be, again, another reason to gather together. Because the joy, the spirit of the Lord working in somebody's heart is a contagious thing. And, and it causes us to be excited about the work that God's doing. And so if you're, if you're in a place in which you find yourself grumbling about your, day, your daily life and, and complaining about the things that are going on, get around somebody that's excited about the Lord. Get around somebody that, that uh, you know, we had a, I'll just mention him because, uh, because some of you know him, but James, who's here at this church, his son, plays soccer up on the mainland, uh, Taishi, and, and Taishi loves the Lord. And uh, he was part of our church for a while because the, the stadium that they played at was like right down the street from our church. And, and I just love hanging around with him because he, he just loves the Lord. And I don't, I don't even like soccer personally, but, but, he, but he's excited. You know? We didn't talk about soccer much. We talked about what God was doing. And, and it's really, he, he, he's moved to another team up north. And, and uh, my, for selfish reasons, I was sad that he moved because I just like being around him because he's got a zeal. But that zeal is contagious. And I want to have that zeal. I want to have that passion for, to, to be able to see the work that the Lord's doing now so that I might be contagious around the people around us. You know? And that's a, again, that's another reason why we gather together so that we might rub off on one another in a good way so that we be able to see the clear work that God's doing. Does that make sense? So again, um, I, I, you know, in, some, in many ways, I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are here. You guys are gathered together. But let's not forget the importance of gathering together and why we do it. You know, we gather together because God's got a, God's got a purpose for us as a church, you know, to, to live differently than the world around us, you know, so that they might see that there is a God that's living in each and every one of us. Let's, let's, uh, let's remember the importance of worshiping together corporately, right? Worship, the word worship in, 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 uh, 
in, in the scripture, the, the original language means to kiss towards God. We kiss towards God. And, and, and of course, you can worship the Lord by yourself, and it's a great thing to do. But there's something special about worshiping the Lord together corporately. And, uh, you know, don't, you know, again, don't celebrate together, you know? Again, celebrating together, a good thing about that is, is like what I'm talking about at the end here is that when we see God doing good things, it, it brings joy to our heart, you know, and it brings a good, a good clarity, a good uh, perspective on, on, on the real, you know, on what's real for us, if that makes sense. And they finally work together, you know. That's one thing about church. I think sometimes we fail to see. Sometimes it's, uh, there's a tendency to feel like you're an audience, right? Like the, there's a group of people that come up, and they play music, and they play music, and you're the audience, and they're playing music, and then someone comes up to talk, and you're the audience to listen to you talk, but you're not the audience. God's the audience, actually, right? We're, we're worshiping the Lord together. These guys just lead us together to worship the Lord, and it's a corporate thing, and, and there's a lot of things that go into the work that God does here at this church, and I want to encourage you, if you're a member of this church and, and you're not involved, to involve yourself inside this church to work together with the with everyone so that you might have a common vision and a common, uh, be able to see what God wants to do and what God is doing amongst the people here at this church and, and, and get yourself around folks that know and love the Lord and, 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 and be uh, revived, if you will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you for the great work that you're doing, Lord. We, we do uh, confess and we know, Lord, that you're at work and that you're, you're, you're always at work. And I thank you for the great work you're doing here in Okinawa through this church. And I pray uh, that we as a body would um, remember the importance of uh, gathering together in your name, Lord, especially, most importantly, as we see the day approaching, knowing how important it is. I pray, Lord, that we would uh, understand and remember the importance of worshiping together, that we would, that we would uh, unashamedly be, be, be worshiping you together corporately, Lord. I pray that we'd understand the importance of celebrating together and and weeping with those that weep, and rejoicing with those that are uh, rejoicing, Lord, and, and that we uh, might, under, again, understand the importance of working together, too, Lord, that, uh, that it might bring us together with common vision and common purpose to the, to the great work that you're doing here, Lord. We love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys.